Exceptional Field Service Delivery creates, magnifies, and sustains exceptional customer experiences and brand loyalty. Welcome to the Super FM Podcast, Field Service Your Way, with me, Michael Israel. I'll lead conversations about critical issues in today's field service ecosystem with knowledgeable and experienced service management professionals. Now, let's learn something. Hello and welcome to Zuper FM Field Service Your Way with your host, Michael Israel. Mr. Israel, how are you? I'm doing very, very good today. How are you, Eric? I'm I'm fantastic, and here's why. <laughs> um, yeah. You have David Knorr back on the show. He's been a guest a few different times on this show. I always learn a ton, always have a great time, brings a lot of humor to it. Uh, but I, I don't even know, Michael, what you're talking about today. Why don't you share that with us? Well, we're going to talk about a couple of things, as if anybody that's listened to our podcast in the past and has heard uh, Mr. Knorr speak uh, is aware that he's a pretty prolific uh, author, mm -hmm. and he has just released or is about to release. David, uh, maybe you can you know straighten me out here, but your next book, uh, Relationship, Relationship Economics, and this is a complete rewrite of the first book that you did uh, many, many years ago. Is that correct? It is. Good to be back with you. And uh, yes, sir, for our audience <laughs> who can see it visually, mint green. Mint green is a hip happening color, completely rewritten uh, and published by friends at Wiley. Uh, this is number 12. Well, so yeah. so I, I tell my kids I used to have more hair when I started writing books and they were black. And now most of them are gone, and the rest of them I did not paint on the gray. So yes, sir. Yes, sir. Relationship economics, completely rewritten third edition. So is your next book going to have a gray color then? Right, and that's what I'm exploring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A friend well, of mine says, friend of mine says, age is a terrible price to pay for wisdom. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I can tell you that. If my previous three books, if I had written them, would have all been gray covers. So <laughs> I completely understand. So yeah, today we're going to talk about your book and uh, the importance of relationships in business, uh, especially. Mm -hmm. And we're going to try to tie in as well the concept that we've been promoting at Zuper, the concept of completed service work and how relationships are are very important part of completed service work. So why don't we start, Mr. Knorr, by having you describe a little bit about what relationship economics is about and what are the key messages and uh, learnings that people should take away from it? Sure. Happy to. Uh, Mike, Michael, you know, this has been my life's work for the last mm -hmm. 20 years, and uh, there's certainly no shortage of uh, ideas, perspectives on, quote unquote, networking and and relationships and a lot of it is, is useful, but it's some of it is very pedestrian, like how to give out business cards, how to get them, how to work a room. I've, I've read over a hundred books on business relationships and, and really there's two camps. So one is very kind of retail and pedestrian and basic and useful, uh, but kind of uh, foundational the other end of the spectrum unfortunately is is uh is very scientific that the, the ideas is referred to often as social network analysis uh it has nothing to do with linkedin facebook youtube or twitter it's actually studying patterns in human interaction mm -hmm. and it's fascinating yet 
uh, it's incredibly academic and regrettably puts most people to sleep in about 15 minutes. <laughs> which, um, your so, which, your, which your book does not. Well, well, I hope so. So what I thought, <laughs> what I was hoping to do is bring, uh, I wrote the original edition in 2008. Uh, in 2012, I wrote uh, the second edition in paperback, 40% uh, new content. And then in conversations with Wiley, you know, what we got around to the fact that, think about it, the last three years of the global pandemic, one of the things that's absolutely changed is business relationships, right? You know, most of us didn't go anywhere, you know, and you've got a plethora of challenges, like how do you build trust in a Hollywood Square Zoom or Teams meeting? How do you, right. is the person thinking or is their video stuck? Um, how, yeah, do you, right. how do you, how do you sustain a culture? Where where now you've got this friction between employers who want people to come into a physical office and employees who are saying, you know, hour and a half commute, no thank you, right? So, you know, it's, it's this struggle in how do we ensure social distancing doesn't become social isolation? So relationship economics at its core, and what I'm hoping your audience will take, and by the way, I, I love the connections with the completed service work, because what I hope your audience will take away is that number one, beyond, it's not, we, we got to stop calling relationship building a soft skill. It is a critical skill. It is, we've proven that it can be quantifiable. We've proven that if you're intentional about the relationships you choose to invest in, they become a strategic asset. They become a differentiator. They become the reason you get promoted or you're asked to lead key initiatives in organizations. They become the reason some people don't, you know, no longer have to write up resumes because their their reputation capital far precedes anybody meeting them in person. So these mm -hmm. are just some examples and ideas that I've captured in the book, including the role of AI and ML in relationships and uh, how to begin, be more disciplined and systematic about the way you build and nurture phenomenal relationships. I, I know you have some examples in your book too about how relationships can influence business decisions and deals being made, et cetera. Can you, can you give uh, some examples of, how relationships that you are familiar with have have resulted in successful business ventures, uh, successful sales, um, successful growth of companies, just anything at all that you can think of some some like real world examples. Yeah, I I, I got to tell you, I I um, you know, it's it's difficult to avoid headlines of of predominantly tech companies laying people off left and right. Yeah, right, right, right. and. Whether it's a job search or, you know, whether it's an involuntary churn where you're out in the market looking for the next job or let's be honest, you know, you're not that excited about the role you're in or think of any goal that we all aspire to, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, want a, I want a better job. I want a different job. I want more clients. I want uh, deeper, more meaningful relationships with, with people that are important to me. They're not going to come from a LinkedIn post or ads or they're going to come from your connections. And mm -hmm. Michael, what I struggle with is I think ever since we're in, I don't know, undergraduate school, somebody somewhere drove into us. It's not what you know, it's who you know. 
and, yeah, and very, they're very familiar phrase yes right they, yeah. what they're referring to is not just the knowledge you you gain it's the the network and the relationships you build and not just mm -hmm. who you know but who knows you mm -hmm. and i want to give your audience one example if you think about the global pandemic we didn't spend more time with more people we actually spend more time with fewer people but it was people we knew and we liked and we trusted and we respected and we believed they were critical to our well-being and our safety and our health and our however you define success so i'm i'm i've become a real strong advocate and one of the myths and misperceptions of relationships that we all need more I want more customers. I want more contacts. I want more LinkedIn connections. And I'm, I, I, I'm of the opposite school of thought, which is, what if, what if you focused on fewer, but you build deeper. You build real. You build authentic. You build mutually value-based relationships, where people are returning your calls on, you know, messages in 24 hours, where they prioritize you, where they. You can't tell people this. They have to feel that they're better off personally, professionally. They're personally flourishing. They're professionally successful because they're in a relationship with you. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm coaching leaders to frontline individuals to think about. Make a list. And I, you know me by now. I'm, I like to think I'm practical. I'm pragmatic. Make a list of your top 10, your top 30, your top 50 relationships that are critical to your success inside outside the organization inside outside the industry these are business relationships most people don't go through that level of discipline they they kind of gut feel and intuition yeah i know michael israel i like him and eric is a great guy and but they don't they're not intentional about focusing on relationships that are critical to their success and their growth how how do you instill that in an organization that uh, where the you know one of the very purposes of the organization is to increase the number of customers right so you get you get more people to deal with not fewer yeah. how do you, how do you translate that philosophy so to speak into an environment where it's a growth environment and you're actually dealing with more people over time yeah. Yeah, no, let me let me let me let me make sure I'm I'm crystal clear. Sure. I don't know of a business that doesn't need net new growth. Right. What I don't want to do is sacrifice that growth at the cost of serving our existing relationships. So to answer your question, I think that philosophy, that tone has to be set from the top. It's either, you know, if you're if you're a hyper growth company, it's gotta be the CEO. It's got to be the board members. It's got to be the executive leadership team. If you're a service organization, it's got to be whoever's responsible, the one neck to choke. Whoever's responsible for the service organization, that's the person who's got to set the tone. That mm -hmm. number one, our number one priority is our existing clients, our existing mm -hmm. relationship, sure. our existing people. We're going to ensure that we do. And this is where completed service work comes in, right? Yeah, I agree. We've got yeah. to make sure they are unequivocally taken care of. And when we do that, and, and I had an old sales manager who would say, Siad, sell everything on the truck. You have a much better chance of selling or upselling or cross-selling an existing product, an existing service to someone who knows you, likes you, trusts you, respects you, has gotten value from you.
than you do trying to go prospect net new. So take care of your own backyard, your own house, your own relationships. I'm, I'm, you're going to cringe. I'm working with a client right now. They have a 70% churn of their existing customers. Oh, my God. That's what I said. I was like, <laughs> I'm sorry. Is that, is that, what? do I have the right number? Yeah. Is this, is this your goal? <laughs> this is, this is, you know, this is a SaaS business. This is a recurring revenue model business where they sign a one year deal and then 70% leave after one year. So they constantly have to find net new customers. Okay, so both me and our audience, I'm sure, are chomping at the bit to understand why this is happening and right? is it acceptable to them? Bingo. So the, the, the tone at the top was transactional, right? The let's go after the next deal. Let's go get the next deal, right? Mm -hmm. Always chasing the next one. Number two, they were going after the wrong customer type who bought in on all the sizzle and all the capability and functionality and look at what this thing could do, but they didn't have the skill sets or the capabilities or the processes or any of the other things to make it successful. So we're helping them literally and figuratively abandon that customer segment because it is a very expensive acquisition cost not mm. to retain that business. Of course. So you, you're going after the wrong customer type. They're not really empowered or enabled to succeed. No wonder most of them leave. And you're constantly chasing the next one. Number mm -hmm. two, new CEO, new administration comes in and says, no, 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 no. We're going to focus on deeper, more meaningful relationships. We're going to really understand their business. We're going to do a much better job in helping them understand what it takes to succeed with our solution. We're going to be there, right, to hold their hand and walk them through. I, I use the analogy of, can you imagine buying a Lamborghini and not being able to get it out of the driveway? You'd be pretty mm -hmm. upset that I just spent all this money on this incredible machine that I can't get the full value out of. Mm -hmm. So the idea, the, the tone has to be set from the top. The culture needs to be one of, and this is again, where completed service work comes in. We're gonna do more than just a minimal expected or required work. And we're gonna ensure that they materially feel that they're in a better position because we're in a relationship together. Right. So let's talk about completed service work and relationship relationship economics a little bit further. As you and I have talked uh, before, our concept of completed service work is that when you're done doing the work that you've been assigned to do, like repairing a piece of equipment, for example, you're really not done yet. You're not done yet until you proactively imagine or anticipate the customer's next question, the customer's next need, the customer's next desire for some additional training. Uh, is simply put, it's just trying to anticipate what the customer might like from you next and then proactively doing that. So I know in your book, you talk somewhat about the fact that people believe that if you're good at relationships, you're, it's just, you're just kind of born with that, that it's, that it's innate. But your book argues that that's that may while that may be true, it can also be taught that you can teach people who are introverts, for example, and who are you know normally pretty quiet and a little bit shy. You can teach them to build good relationships. So let's talk a little bit about that, if you would, please. How do you do that? And how do you think we could instill that philosophy in 
senior management in service organizations so they can pass it on to their staffs? Great, great question. Great comment. I'm going to, I'm going to plan a, a, maybe a rhetorical question with you and your audience. When, when you see a great leader, someone who really exudes all the qualities you admire in a leader, if I were to ask you, do you believe that's nature? Was that person born a leader mm -hmm. or is that nurture? They develop those skills, knowledge, and behaviors. Yeah. What would you say? Similarly, most people, you know, most people would say it's probably a little bit of both. And mm -hmm. I, in my experience, again, this is year 21 of our business. This is book number 12. We've got over 10,000 data points of our relationship economics quiz from our website. And having worked with global clients, what I've learned is, Michael, it's exactly right of what you said. There are some attributes that are innate in individuals. And we actually trace this back to their upbringing and the profession of their parents. For example, if your parents were in sales, you typically, not always, but there's a high likelihood that you're going to be more outgoing because that was the, the household you grew up in. If, if your parents were in marketing, if your parents were in investor relations, if any of those roles where insurance, mm -hmm. any of those roles where they were out, they were, right, they had to engage others to succeed. Mm -hmm. Good chance that you grew up in a right outward facing, right? Not always, but good high probability. Conversely, if there were, you know, think of all the roles, accountants, if there were you know, people that are it's more of those introverted or or you know, kind of roles, you probably again grew up in a place where it, it was calm, it was cool, it was collected, it was right. So the, the those introverted um Traits, if Traits. you will. Mm -hmm. So we've certainly seen some of it is nature. That's how you were born. Mm -hmm. Yet you're exactly right. I'm a huge proponent. And we've proven that effective, impactful relationship building. Notice I didn't say networking. Because the first chapter is top 10 reasons why most networking doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And the punchline for your audience is networking is one letter away from not working, right? Yeah. <laughs> I saw that, yeah. <laughs> right. So so this isn't about networking. This is about intentional, long-term relationship development. That's a skill. And it's a skill that, that we've proven can be taught. If you hear it, if you internalize it, if you begin to apply it, you start to figure out, adapt and figure out what works for you. And what I cannot turn an introvert into an extrovert. What we have done is help them become more comfortable in environments where they're not as comfortable. They may not be as familiar and, and extend and expand their horizons. And, and like a rubber band, you push that horizon a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more each time. And it's amazing how it can't stretch. And you suddenly are okay with going to events where you may not know a whole lot of people or okay in approaching a complete stranger and asking them, I, I, I've never been a big fan of small talk, but you know, are you, oh, I, I see that you work for XYZ company. How long have you been there? And what mm -hmm. do you do there? And, and so, so engaging them in a conversation. And we talk about a lot of techniques, like, you know, you've heard me say this, that, you know, everybody's favorite subject is themselves. Themselves, yeah. So you want to become more interesting? 
become more interested in others. And and by the way, this is another one that your audience, I think, has to hear. I would submit to you that everybody has a BS radar. If you don't mean it, they're going to see right through that, right? If you don't care how I'm doing, don't ask. Yeah. Because people are going to see right through that. It's this obligatory thing you're doing that you don't really care because you're not listening to a word I'm saying. Yeah. So so there's some techniques, there's some things you can do, but it's all about intentionality. Become more intentional in the relationships you choose to invest in. Yeah, I think a couple things that stand out to me based on the comments that you just made is that there's some there's some key elements. There's a discipline element. So if you're going to build uh, deep relationships with your family, with your friends, with your business associates, you need to be disciplined about doing that. It isn't just a one-time thing. You don't just one-time send an email or make a phone call and say, hey, how are you doing? And then that's it. It's, it, it takes an effort, more of an effort to do that and more of an, a, a consistent effort. And I'm not talking about every day, but some level of consistency that you're trying to deepen that relationship. You're exactly right. And, and this is, again, the people who do the drive-by greeting, <laughs> they're, it's, it's transactional. It's, mm-hmm. it's, they want something. They want a job. They want a favor. They want, they want something. And most of us see right through that. Yeah. Conversely, those who are consistent, as you said, about, I want to make sure uh, I touch base and I add value and, and I do it on a regular basis are, are much more authentic in how they show up, how they come across. And we see that too. Yeah. I think a couple other things that really stand out to me is you're talking about confidence too. So people that are a little bit shy that have been introverts, the more, the more often they get a chance to exercise this effort at building a deep relationship, the more confident they become in doing so the next time or with the, or with the same person the next time. So uh, I think that's important. And you, you mentioned BS radar. Um, I think that's incredibly important. Honesty in the relationship is, is uh, absolutely crucial. If there's any trace of dishonesty whatsoever, in most cases, that relationship is going to falter and perhaps even fail. Uh, personal personal relationships or business relationships. I, I just had a situation with a vendor here uh, in my new home that promised me something and then basically did just the opposite. Uh, so guess what? I'm not buying from that vendor, right? So it's very important. And, and by the way, most leaders have a, a long memory. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I've, I've always disliked about the tech sector or a lot of other industries as well, but it's that end of the quarter pressure, right? Where we call our customers and we're trying to close end of the quarter business. The customers see right through that. Yeah. You you don't pay attention to me the other two and a half months of the of the quarter or the other 10 and a half months of the year. But yeah. by end of the quarter, you're calling me every day to it, it they see right through that. Yeah. And it and it just screams transactional. I'm just here for the quick hit. And as soon as I get what I want, I move on. By the way, by the way, you know, my personal story coming here from another country and I've yep. lived, you know, you've, you and I've also worked abroad. We've lived abroad. The rest of the world builds relationships first from which they do business. Regrettably, as Americans, we're so, even Westerners, we're so focused on the business part, right? Only if I get this project done, only if I get this deal done, only if I get this whatever, the, pro- the, the business side done, then I may think about, oh yeah, 
I should ask Michael, how's your lovely bride? And what's happening with you? By the way, what do you do for fun when you're not working? And what do you got going on this weekend? And mm -hmm. how's your son or daughter? Or wasn't your dog getting old? And, and it's just, it's a disconnect when we go into places and people don't look like us and sound like us and come from our backgrounds. Because by the way, field service technicians are in a phenomenal opportunity. Not just the technicians, but field service engineers and anybody in customer service, field service, customer experience. Phenomenal opportunity to build and nurture great relationships with those clients, with multiple people at that client company, at that site, at that location. Beyond, I'm just here to replace that part, or I'm here just to warranty work, or whatever the case may be. Yeah, and, and 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 that extends beyond just those two. For example, those two people, the field service technician and the operator of the piece of equipment that the technician just repaired. If the technician, the field engineer, is building a solid, happy, friendly relationship with that operator, that benefit extends to the company, the the field engineer's uh, employer, right? Because that individual on the receiving end, that machine operator, for example, is going to be happy with the service. He's going to get better use out of the product that was repaired. He's going to share his experiences with his coworkers. He's going to share his experiences with his management. And the management is going to be much more inclined than to stick with the vendor next time the contract comes around or next time they have, an, they need, have a need to purchase a new piece of equipment. Guess who they're going to consider first? They're going to consider first the organization that has built a strong, positive, honest, friendly relationship with them. Yes. And you and I have talked about this. It's really unfortunate that, yeah, another myth or misperception about relationships that is purely external, right? Customers, vendors, suppliers, investors, mm -hmm. everybody outside the company. A lot of what I talk to leaders about is how are your intra-company relationships? Because if that field service technician has a fantastic yeah. relationship with the customer, but the sales guy parachutes in periodically, or marketing, or finance, or IT doesn't know anything about that client, you have the proverbial, what I call the relationship bow tie. If you think about a bow tie, it really is two triangles facing each other, one of you and one of them. What happens if that field technician decides to retire? Now the company is like, do right? They don't they don't know anybody in that account. They don't <laughs> yeah, right? they have no connection, they have no relationship with that with that company. So what I often coach leaders, service leaders, sales leaders, CEOs, turn that bow tie around. So now the points of the triangle are facing the other way and build relationship shoelaces up, down, and across the organization. Mm -hmm. So your CFO should know their CFO. Your head of sales should know their head of sales. Your get your right. Really create connections across, up, down, and across the organization, so you don't have a single point of failure. If someone retires, if someone leaves, if someone is out sick, on and on and on. And and what happens is then you deepen, you deepen the commitment that we're here as a team to ensure your success. Not just Joe, who's a fantastic field service engineer. I think that's a great point. That's really good advice. And uh, I really value your comments there. And I think our audience will 
appreciate those comments as well. So let me talk again. I'm going to kind of put you on the spot. I know I, I don't think that'll frighten you because I, I, you're pretty pretty adept on your feet. Um, so on the topic of completed service work, what would you say to a field service executive, for example, on why he or she should instill the philosophy and the culture of field service work to their field service organization? Why should they do that? What's the benefit? In your mind, because you're typically one phone call or one click away from them choosing a competitor. Think about it a second. Your products, your services, I, I would argue are table stakes. I, I'm assuming you've got competent, you know, equipment, and you've got again big assumption. But I'm assuming that you're competent and capable in your products and your services. Mm-hmm. Michael, the the biggest argument I often make is relationships, I would argue, are our only sustainable differentiator. They build barriers to entry by competitors. They build stickiness. When when somebody calls and they've got a product or service for 10% less, that customer is less likely to, to even pay attention to that. Because they have a relationship with that field service engineer. No, 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 no. I could have a better product, better blood testing equipment, better HVAC system, better whatever. But Mm -hmm. I'm not going to get Joe, the technician. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to get that service team. Oh, Susie in the call center? I don't call the 800 number. I call her desk directly. I'm not going to get that with that other company. So when you bring when you lead with relationships as the arrow head, not as an afterthought, like the feathers at the tail end of the arrow, when you lead with relationships, you consistently set yourself apart from others. And and here's the part, here's the challenging part. Everybody says it. Oh, we build great relationships with our clients and they love our service function. And um, I, I recently spoke to an executive of a company that will go unnamed, but he made the comment that we have, our service organization has a fantastic relationship with our customers. You know me by now. I'm allergic to vagueness. I'm like, <laughs> what What does that mean? So I, independent of them, reached out and I spoke with three of my relationships who happen to be their customers. Would you believe they didn't know any of their salespeople, any of their service people, they hadn't seen anybody from that company in months. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what your definition of fantastic is, but that isn't mine. That isn't it. <laughs> that isn't it. Yeah, yeah. So either Mahogany Row is so tone deaf and disconnected from what's really happening in the field, or they have a skewed definition of what a fantastic relationship is. Yeah, sure. So... Field service leadership, I said it earlier, based on their role, is in a phenomenal opportunity to build organizational sustainability, organizational competitive sustainability through the relationships they build in that in that service organization. If if we know them, we we genuinely make sure they're taken care of if we are proactive if we're preventive 
I mean, mm-hmm. you, you know, I, I've talked about this, right? Completed service work. How do I not just fix something? How do I anticipate? How do I think ahead? How do I get ahead? How do I, uh, one of my clients for a long time, uh, manufactured elevators and escalators. If you've ever been in a lobby of a building and an elevator's down, or you get to the airport with your luggage and the escalator's down, it's just like, oh, good God. It's yep. just like, it doesn't, it's just, adds unnecessary aggravation to your day, right? In hospitals, a, a down elevator could actually cost lives. Yep. So instead of them just going and servicing, hopefully with the right parts on the truck, when the elevators and escalators broke, what I love about what they've done is they've built a, by the way, a very successful, very profitable, predictive maintenance business. And that prevents those things from going down and they're working. They've got a shift that, that services these things in off hours, like sure midnight to 6 a.m. or when people are not using them. And so it just goes, goes to, and every one of those organizations, right? The leadership doesn't just talk about it. They believe in it. They believe that beyond their products and services, beyond the service function, they're fundamentally in the relationship business. Yeah. Now, let me also ask you, I I know that you're very big on mentoring. You think Mm. mentoring is very, very valuable. So if an organization is going to try to instill and, and, and create a culture of completed service work, what is your advice to executive management on how they mentor the people that may be a little bit shy, maybe a little bit introverted. How do they mentor the people to adapt that philosophy and actually execute that philosophy? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna build on that. Not not just the shy, quiet people, but Michael, this this idea of relationship development, regrettably, is not taught in our schools. Yeah, I've, I saw that in your book too. Yeah, right. It's not taught yeah, in yeah. anybody's. You know, very few companies new hire training program. We teach them the product. We teach them the services in the market and how to fix things. But how often are we teaching them these are the relationships inside the organization and outside of it that are going to be critical to your success? Mm-hmm. So, A, we have to teach the skill. B, if you think about relationships, I would submit to you that we don't pick them up through osmosis. We pick them up through modeled behaviors. Good, bad, ugly, indifferent. We pick them up when we see our managers, our leaders, model those behaviors. Now, if they're yep. positive behaviors, most people think, oh, I love the way John or Nancy did that. And I want to learn how to do that. Mm-hmm. When we see negative ones, oh, what a jerk. I'm never going to do that. I, I don't want to be that. So the field service leadership is serious about completed service work. If they're serious about building and nurturing a culture of real, authentic, value-based relationships, I believe they have to teach it. I believe they have to measure it, reinforce it, compensate, metrics and compensation, right? Mm -hmm. And importantly, model it, model that behavior. Again, you're going to cringe. Not field service, but I asked the chief financial officer of a pretty good-sized company, how many clients have you seen in the last six months? Any guesses? 
Yeah. None. Yeah. And this has nothing to do with the pandemic, right? And yeah. I'm like, are you, are you really telling me you've got your finger on the pulse of this business by looking at a bunch of financials? So my question of you is, you and I know a lot of field service leaders. I'm wondering how many of them actually go on service calls. How many of them know those customers? Yeah, that you know, there, there's certainly exceptions, and sure. but I, 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 if you're not, this isn't relationships are not a spectator sport. This is roll up your sleeves and get in the arena. Yeah, that's a that's a great analogy. Thank you. Well, I think we're we're nearing time. Nor this is a, has always been a really fascinating conversation. I love talking to you. You got some, you've got some great advice for people, and I think the the listeners uh, listeners of our podcast will appreciate your advice, especially this one. I think this is very very relevant. The whole concept of building relationships with customers, not just for personal satisfaction reasons, but for business reasons as well. So. Thank you again so much for your time, and I look forward to uh, the next one. It is always delightful to connect with you, and I appreciate uh, you and Zupor being such great advocates of relationship economics. Yeah, thank you. Eric, right, gentlemen, back to you. This, yeah, gentlemen, this has been fantastic. Nor, that last piece right there, uh, I had to laugh because I, I loved seeing the show Undercover Boss come out, but yeah. as, a, as a coach, I was like, you should have been doing that a long time ago. Right. Do we really need that show for right? executives to get? And, and why the disguises? Like, why can't you just go in and say, I'm here? I mean, Michael looks good with a beard, but these guys are putting on beards and trying to get under. No, don't go undercover. Show your employees that you are going to go out there and meet the clients and see how their work is doing and see how their job is doing and see how their families are doing invest in those people, right? I mean, I love what you're talking about. I love what you're doing. Thank you so much for your time. Michael, thank you for being such an amazing host. Uh, this is The show wouldn't be the same without you. So thank you so much for what you do. And our last thank you always goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to Zuper FM, Field Service Your Way with Michael Israel. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when the guys come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this actually helps others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Zuper FM, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Zuper FM, field service your way. Insightful discussions and advice that help you position your field service operations as a powerful force in building enduring customer loyalty. And remember this, when you deliver excellent service to your customers, you're also facilitating their ability to provide superior service to their customers, which strengthens brand loyalty among their customer base as well. Thanks again. Please join us next time.